Hello and welcome to another episode of Toxicology, brought to you by Recovery Unplugged. Here at Toxicology, we talk all things addiction, recovery, and mental health. Tonight's guest, addiction professional and musician, Johnny Phillip. I'm your co-host, Jason Cabello, and as always, your host and mine, Joseph Gorordo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Toxicology. As you can see, just me again, no Joseph. But there's something inside of me. Every time I make the intro, if Joseph's not going to be on, I can't take him off. I just feel like it it feels like I'd be betraying him somehow. And that's the last thing I want to do is betray Joseph Gorordo because I love him very much. He is on a plane right now, coming back from Las Vegas, so we wish him safe travels, um, and he will be back next week, and you'll get some of the jibber-jabber that you, that you tune in for. Um, I guess now it's just jibber. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, 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 um, let, press radio and film, Greg. How about that? Let's run some press radio and film. Press radio and film. So we have a lot of sober birthdays, recovery birthdays, recovery anniversaries, Tony Trevino in the house. Um, Let's see, Edward Furlong of, um, you might know him from such recent releases as Terminator 2, um, celebrates four years in recovery. So congratulations, Edward Furlong. Um, You know, we like to do this because... It, press radio and film is a um, I, I, we got that it, in 12 step meetings they say to stay away from press radio and film when you talk about your um, what whatever program you're in you're supposed to stay away from it because you don't want to be you don't want to represent yourself you don't want to come across as a representative for the 12-step program that you're in. So, you know, but we like to celebrate recovery here. We also have Carlos Truon, who is a good friend of the show, celebrates 10 years in recovery a couple of days ago. So congratulations. Chrissy Teigen, one year in recovery. Um, Yeah, one year in recovery. That's great. And the most important... In my humble opinion, my rock, Joseph Gorordo, 14 years of continuous sobriety. So congratulations, Joseph. We love you very much. We miss you again. Joseph will be back next week. So I'm just going to cut to the chase here and introduce today's guest. He is a talented musician a lot going for him um we we can talk about the bands that he's been in once he comes on i know him as a co-worker from recovery unplugged where he is an alumni coordinator out in nashville and probably one of the the most probably one of the nicest fellows you'd ever want to meet so let's just bring him on mr johnny phillip hey thanks for having me jason Thanks for being on, Johnny. I appreciate it. It's good to have you here. It's a long time coming, man. It is. It is. So Johnny and I, you know, we, we had worked together for the same company for a little while without, without meeting each other. And my partner, 
Gabby, who used to work for Recovery Unplugged. You you guys had some, you, you know, you guys had to do some business talk or whatever. And Gabby, for anybody who does or doesn't know her, is just what, she's not a very social person. Very kind of stoic. Uh, as the kids would say, she doesn't fuck with a lot of people. But she was just like... You know, you, you and Johnny, I think, would be, like, best friends. I think you guys would definitely get along. And then we, we started a conversation back and forth. And then um, a, a few months back, I got to go to Nashville and, and visit and meet Johnny in person. And Johnny showed up at the, uh, the alumni meeting. And I'm, like, sitting outside talking to some people. Johnny pulls up. In his 70s Adidas tracksuit, listening to Jerry Rafferty. And I'm just like, there's there's a guy who knows what he wants out of life. Like, this guy is just, and like, so, man, like, you, you, you've made a huge impression on me, man. And you're, you're just a great energy. So welcome to the show, Johnny. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really surprised that you remembered that encounter with Jerry Rafferty in the background. You don't you don't get that a lot. You know what I mean? You you, you don't. That's not something you run across every day. Because because you and I, you know, we, we were into a lot of same music. We have some mutual friends from from before, like our active addiction, from like the music world and stuff. And um, you know, I know we we've had some brief conversations about some deep dives into music, and you know, it's some of those bands that you don't get to talk about with a lot of people. So it's. Uh, it's really cool to have you on, man. So let's let's look. Let's get started to to know more. The, the world wants to know a little bit more about Johnny Phillips. So let's uh, start. Where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And uh, yeah, to start with that, when were you born? Yeah. I was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. If you're familiar with that place, I'm from Chicago. I know I, I know all about Wisconsin. Yeah, it's where Happy Days was taking place. Um, but Joseph. I only. I only lived there until I was about nine. Uh, I went to Catholic school up until I was nine years old. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, so I, I, I was so happy when we moved to a suburb of Milwaukee and got out of Kenosha. I always thank my dad for getting the whole, our whole family out of Kenosha because, I mean, no, no offense to any of my family that are still in Kenosha, but once you're in Kenosha, it's like you never leave. And... I had huge hopes and dreams and aspirations. And so once we moved to the suburb of Milwaukee, that's when I started listening to punk rock. Um, I started skateboarding a lot more. I also played sports, uh, but I only, I only played sports until about, about like a freshman in high school. I right. made JV, JV basketball my freshman year. And then I was the best point guard on the team. And the first five games that I was playing in I never got started so I was like okay maybe sports aren't for me that's actually when I started smoking pot smoking cigarettes okay uh, right when I was 14 so that was kind of like the beginning of me starting to rebel because I didn't like competition I didn't like people telling me what to do that's when I started hating cops whoa um, and that's a strong word sorry hating disliking yeah. cops well I um, mean you know if you were into punk rock and skateboarding in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, you would get messed with by cops quite a bit. You know what I mean? Because you're like skating in parking lots or, you know, buildings when they're closed and, and you know, they kick you out of everywhere. And you just think, and especially at that age, you already think the world is against you. So, you know. Totally. 
punk yeah. rock didn't help that at all. <laughs> no, no, well, I know. Um, I mean, it, it definitely changed my life for the better, but right. there's definitely some things that punk rock sprouted in me where I think were maybe bad seeds. But yeah, besides yeah. the point, um, that's like right around the time I started using, I really started drinking hard around 16 or 17. I always hung out with an older crowd and not saying that they were all alcoholics and crazy, but like that's what we did on the weekends and some, some nights that we all had off. Yeah. And, uh, I, I took it a little too far, kind of probably right when I was about 17 or 18 and then when I was 18 and 19, that's when I learned that if you start drinking again in the morning, you start feeling a lot better. And that's when things got absolutely atrocious. So I was 18 and 19, and I was already a full-blown alcoholic. And I kind of prided myself on how much that I can drink. I would, you know, I'd pick on the biggest guy at the bar and I'd pick on him and then ask him to buy me a shot. And then I... <laughs> just bother him and bother him. I'd be like, I bet you I can drink more than you. And then of course I would just pick on the biggest guy and out drink him. I, it was like a very, like, you know, there's like junkie pride. Yeah. 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 I had like drunky pride, drunky pride. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, and, and that's the thing when you're in that kind of community, it's, you can either be celebrated for being that guy or you think you're being celebrated, but it's not really, it's not really frowned upon too much. And right. coming from that world, you have, you know, the crust punks, you have just your regular drinking guys, and then you have straight edge kids. So, you know, you, you it, the spectrum is, it depends, like, it's when you hear, like, whenever you start going to meetings in AA or NA, you're going to find whatever it is you're looking for. If you're looking for trouble, if you're looking for somebody to go out and, like, relapse with, if you're looking for a fucked up relationship, you're going to find it. Same thing when you're when you're hanging out in bars and hanging out at clubs, you know, that's what you're going to get. So, so yeah, how I, long, how long, so it, it immediately was a problem for you, right? Like in, in your teen years, you were. Oh yeah. That, I got, I got three, maybe four underage drinking tickets before I was 21. So yeah. that was the immediate, like who gets like three or four underage drinking tickets before they're 21. I, Johnny I don't Phillip. know. Yeah, I guess I have. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, I started playing in bands. My, my very first band that got signed when I was 20 years old, just, you know, fresh out of high school, the Benjamins, we, we got signed to Drive Through Records and were immediately on these big tours with like Sum 41, Real Big Fish. We were on the Warp Tour that summer. And going out on the road was, was a lot of fun. But, you know, alcoholism is very progressive. So that disease of mine just went up like a ramp. Right. And, um, when I was when I was 23, that's when I got my first DUI. Um, that was a real wake up call for me and my family. I remember when my mom um, got me from jail. I remember her saying, "Hey, maybe this is a wake up call, and for all of us, and we need to reassess how much you're drinking and, and right. why you're doing the way that you are." Um, so. I kind of pushed it aside and I kind of manipulated my parents a little bit to thinking that I had it under wraps. And then when I was 27, I was a couple of years into playing with the, this band Limbeck from Southern California. And um, 
bunch of great guys and I'm still actively in the band, you know, almost 18 years later. Um, but we, we had this very bad cycle of drinking very hard. We kind of fed off each other in that capacity. Right. Um, but when I was 27, my mom actually took me to my general practitioner at the time and he was in the program of recovery and he actually basically told me to go to a meeting. He's like, John, I think you need to go to a meeting. I think you need to get a sponsor. You need to start working the steps. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> right. Because that force-fed Catholicism when I was younger, I, that the G word, the G-O-D word, kind of it was really something that I was not interested in. And I didn't realize that religion and spirituality are totally two different entities. Yeah. Thank um, God for that. <laughs> no pun intended, Jake. Yeah. But um, I, I, I kicked back on that super hard, and I was just like, isn't, isn't the going to a meeting in the big book, isn't that about God? It's all about religion. And he's just like, man, you really don't get it, do you? But I had to go out there, and I had to get something like five more years of hard drinking. Yeah. And I mean, terrible withdrawals. I, I can't believe I never had a seizure. I felt like a lot of the times that I was going to have one, but I would just, I would drink to counteract any negative withdrawal symptoms. And I would drink for days, weeks, months. I remember when I was 27, I didn't like myself very much and music was not doing for me what I thought it would be doing at that point. I remember I was like, I'm going to get fucked up every day of me being 27 because I want to die. Wow, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty, uh, pretty harsh. Did it, did you drink every day of 27? I Most did. Of it? Wow. Yeah. And I, I mean, did. so, so I mean, what were you drinking? How much were you drinking? Because I mean, drinking every day could mean a glass of wine with dinner, which some people do and, and leave, lead very productive, normal lives and can put it down if they want to. But I, I'm assuming that that was, it wasn't that it wasn't a beer after work. No, not at all. I mean, this was a handle of vodka. Oh shit. Two bottles of whiskey, 30 rack of beer, four bottles of wine. Um, I mean, I, I can, I can, if I drink, I can drink a start, lot. Start when you wake up? Was it oh, yeah. first thing? Oh, yeah. Man, um, you know, honestly, I, I've known, you know, working in, in the recovery world for, you know, five years and just knowing people my whole life who have drank, you maintained a pretty youthful appearance for somebody who drank that heavy. And, you know, your, your faculties are all there. I, I have, um, one of my best friends from childhood um he's out there like homeless and i think he's in colorado somewhere and he's got wet brain and you know he probably drank less than what you're talking about and just like I, it's just like every time he would just get like degenerate and degenerate and degenerate until it was like talking to a five-year-old sometimes so you are extremely fortunate to come out of it a looking like you do and B just being, you know, sharper than I am. So, you know, 
that. So no, honestly, man, like you know, you're 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 one of the lucky ones. So you know, I really am. I, yeah. I don't know if congratulations are in order, but just saying, like, be thankful for that, man, because I'm sure you are. You know, I don't need to be tell you tell you to be thankful for anything, but you know, I'm, I'm sure we, we both see a lot of people who aren't so fortunate. I mean, I really am lucky truly but i definitely have had some health repercussions because of it okay uh, i mean i don't have wet brain but i definitely have a memory issue and it's something that i didn't have 10 15 years ago um, well, i mean that could just be being a, a, a guy in your 40s too you know a lot of uh could there's a lot of question marks there there is really there hard. is but you know uh, also i had at the at the very end of my drinking, and I don't know if you want to get into that just yet, but I was drinking about a handle of vodka a day for about I, that. Of course, this memory is hazy. Maybe three to five months, somewhere in that zone, handle a day every day, and I was maybe twenty five, thirty pounds heavier than I am now. I still have stretch marks in my legs and my stomach from all that. They'll never go away. And I had hepatitis to the liver. And I didn't know what that was when my doctor, the last time I went to treatment, I, I didn't know what that was when he told me. But apparently you can get that from drinking too much. Right, yeah. And were you getting like brain fog and everything from that? Because um, yep. that for me personally, you know, I, w I was an IV user and, you know, shared needles and, and, and all that shit. And... Um, I had gotten tested the last time I had gone to treatment and it was, it was negative for hep C. And then I was out in Nashville with Joseph. Uh, we were out there for a conference and I was just like, I had felt like if you ever smoked a lot of weed, like the day after you smoke just a ton of weed and you're just sort of like brain dead, like that's how I felt for like a week. Like I couldn't remember anything. I remember, um, you know, our boss at Recovery Unplug, Andrew Sawson was out there and he was just like asking me some questions and like, I felt like I was fucked up. And then I started getting like, my feet started swelling up and then I went to the doctor and I was like, something's wrong. So they did a full checkup and then like, she came, the doctor came in and told me and was like, you know, she very somber came in and was like, Mr. Cabello, I have to tell you something like you have, you have hepatitis C. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's it. Thank God. You know, cause I knew that it was, I could fix it and yeah. that, you know, it wasn't just my, my brain wasn't just deteriorating completely. And then, you know, and he had an answer of what was going on because like that. An answer is what you need, so then you can get to that problem, you know. Correct. Correct that problem. And then, you know, the medication, the medication getting rid of that, that's a, that's a, whole, ooh, that's a whole other story of, of months and months. But like I said, man, like, thank God that was it. Thank God that it was something that was easily fixed that, that I could pinpoint and say, you know, so now everything else that happens after that, that's just, uh, you know, wasted right. brain cells too. But I get that. Well... It's nice that any intravenous drug user that has hepatitis C or reoccurring hepatitis C, that they have that medicine now. I mean, you basically right. take pills for like a month, right? Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cured. And, and from what, what you, you know, I, it was bad. My experience, it was, I would say at worst, unpleasant. You know, I, I have some friends that did the inferior, 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 inferior on. <laughs> 
that was the medication before I, I can't pronounce it correctly, but that was the medication that they had like maybe like seven, eight years ago. And I had a friend who said like, that was complete hell for like a couple of months. So, you know, I'm going to knock on wood that, that I got that taken care of. Um, and it wasn't so yeah. bad. I'm glad, I'm glad that you're okay from all that. Cause I've, I've heard little bits and pieces of your story and it sounds like things were, I mean, you were headed towards death. Oh, yeah, man. Like, I've said it on here before. My, my sponsor, who was my sponsor a couple of years before I got clean, and my mom, I, I was out in Trenton, New Jersey one time. I had come into a little bit of money. My grandmother passed away and left me and my cousins her house. So we all got together and <laughs> sold it. And I got... You know, I got a little bit of money, which was a, the equivalent of a million dollars to me because I was like a nickel and dime, you know, on the street drug addict. Like I, I couldn't if, if I had like forty dollars in a day to like get what I needed, like that that was a pretty good day. So to to come into that kind of money, I was like, where are you going to go? What are you going to do with your money? Well, I'm going to go to Philly and New Jersey where all the good dope is. You know, I, I told myself it was for other reasons, but, you know, I knew why I was going out there. And I had blown, I, I had gone out there in January, like end of January. And by Valentine's Day, I had run out of all my money. I had, you know, my, my friend who I was staying with, like kicked me out. He's like, you can't be around my kids. I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get the fuck out. And, uh, you know, luckily I, I mended that friendship. And I, I'm walking the streets in, in Trenton, New Jersey, trying to get people to send me money, you know, A, because I really needed the money to get home. And then, you know, my mom and my sponsor at the time were like praying that I got locked up. Like that was their best answer. That was like the best that they could hope for me at that time out of my life was like going to prison. So, yeah, I um, for for addicts, alcoholics, sometimes prison is the safest place for you. Right. Right. But, uh, you know, I. I <laughs> Yeah, like it, it, it may be in the beginning, but you know, there, there's just, you could get in just as much trouble inside as, as you can outside. But yes, yes. So it, it's one of those things where it's like, at least we'll know he's safe. At least we know where he is tonight, you know, but yeah, what, what, what a crazy whirlwind of just the way I got back and how things started falling into place. And then I went to treatment one other time and then left and then went back to detox and then made it to recovery unplugged and you know everything else then has just been like my life has gotten progressively better like i'm in mean, one six years ago yeah just over six years ago and it's man it's like i've <clears throat> it's one of those things where it's like oh this is what people who didn't do self-destructive things experience in life it's like your life keeps getting a little bit better. Like, you know, I, I went into treatment. I got a job. Like, I got a job right behind Recovery Unplugged so I could stay close. And it was at a place where I could, like, cook veggie burgers and they would feed me. And then I got a better job after that. And then I was living in, in Halfway for a long time. And then I found somebody in the program who was renting a room. And then I got to stay there and then moved into a nicer place. And, like, fast forward, I'm, like, living in, like, a really cool neighborhood in Austin, Texas with my girlfriend and in a healthy relationship and we got dogs and it's like, this is a life that I never thought was possible, you know? Yeah, cool job in, in treatment and recovery. Yeah, so, 
Anyway, enough about me. Let's, um, where's your life now compared to where you were? Well, no, before we get to that, let's okay. talk about the, how it felt when you were at that point, when you knew that this wasn't gonna, that A, the drinking yourself to death hasn't worked yet. You know what I mean? And do you still want to continue to do that? Is this still the plan that you have? Or is some, thing, some of these things starting to sink in, like what the doctor told you, what your family was telling you? Like, where, where were you at in your, and like the feeling of it when you're like, shit, you know, maybe I can't do this anymore? When I was 27 and not really wanting to live and just completely directionless, um, that's a whole different thing. But towards the end of my usage, that feeling, I mean, and I tell this, sometimes I tell like many versions of my stories when we're having group or something. And when I, when I tell a little, little mini version of my story, I touch on when like the last couple months I was drinking, I would wake up from a total blackout. And I don't, you know, sometimes I'd be in a strange house sometimes i'd be on the floor of my house sometimes i'd be in my bed i would always have urinated on myself from that night and so i'd have to change my clothes really quick fit, you know get my bearings and then if, if i woke up at maybe like 6 a.m i'd have to start googling where it was open that i can buy some more vodka because i obviously finished everything that i had the night before wow. so it's like that feeling of being in my bed, shaking, sweating, thinking that I'm going to have a seizure or stroke and die, and like trying to Google something at six, seven in the morning. Also, Milwaukee has third shift bars, which is kind of a crazy thing to even think of. Um, yeah. For all yeah. these third guys that get off of work, they can go get drunk at six, seven in the morning. So I would look for those too, but then I'm like, do I want to be drinking in a bar right now? I really like a bottle of vodka. Right. Um, but I always think of that, like whenever I think of my deepest, darkest part of my bottom, I always think of being in bed looking up a grocery store or something that is open that I could go buy vodka at. Yeah, because I mean, when, when you wake up like that, you know, it, it's, it's the same sort of feeling when you're, when you're uh, an opiate addict. You know, you wake up and then if you don't have something ready for you, like that you're, you have to, like, you, there's no choice. There's, and, and th that's a huge thing that I found when I, when I started reading, you know, some 12 step literature and it's like that feeling when it's like, I don't even want to use right now. Like that, I really don't, but I don't have a choice. Like I'm using against my will. Like it, it's just what I need to do to keep going. You know, that, that, mm. that gut wrenching bottom that gut-wrenching feeling that people call a bottom and when you live it for years and years and it's not just like one second that you look up and there's an epiphany that you need to change things but when that's like your everyday life that's that's some dark shit oh yeah absolutely and, and somebody's on the chat right now asking how i got money for vodka i was still a functioning musician at that time and at that time, I was playing with Tommy Stinson from The Replacements and Guns N' Roses. I mean, I was making pretty decent money playing with Tommy, so I would stash away every dollar that I could possibly stash away. And I also worked at a restaurant, too. So if okay. I needed vodka, I would hustle, pick up a shift or two, and I would drink secretively, secretively at work. I would take a big Gatorade bottle, two of them, 
dump half out vodka in the other half of the bottles, mix them, take them to work, put my initials on them so nobody would pick it up at work and accidentally drink my drink and then I'm seen, I'm caught. Um, and I would just do anything to hustle. I would always ask my dad for money, ask my mom for money, ask friends for money, but then I would also hustle pretty hard too. So many similarities in, in our story, man. It's, 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 it's insane. You know, it's like, um, <clears throat> yeah, and working in restaurants, too, it's, it's like a lot of people will turn a blind eye to it. You know, like if, if you're doing your job and you're not making a mess of things, like he's probably drinking, but you know what I mean? It's Johnny. We fucking love Johnny. <laughs> but, you know, yes. I... I found out yesterday that you played with Tommy Stinson and the replacements are one of my all time favorite bands. And, you know, being, being raised in the music business, it's hard for me to like, get like, kind of like starstruck and, and get really impressed by stuff. But that is fucking impressive, man. We have, we have to put some replacement songs on the, uh, we, we have a Spotify list for, for toxicology. So we'll, we'll put some of that stuff on there. But they are, if anybody who's not familiar with The Replacements, they are a band, I guess you could call them sort of like punk. Um, they, got their start, they got their start in punk and then kind of softened up a little bit, but not really, um, from Minneapolis. And they are known as one of the, pro probably one of the hardest drinking bands of that time. Um, right. So was he, was he still drinking when, when you were playing with him? He was, yeah, and we were definitely a pretty bad pair together. Um, the other guys in the band didn't drink very much. They're more like weed smokers, and uh, so Tommy and I bars really hard, hitting the vodka and the Maker's Mark at his house super hard. Um, he he actually was just in town in Nashville. He played a house show because he's doing like a house show tour. Um, and I went to go hang out with him and we caught up for like 20 minutes and he's actually like 150 something days sober right now. That's fucking amazing. You, Isn't that crazy? You, you, you have to get him on the show. I, I don't think I'd be able to talk. I think I would just be like, I'd be stuttering the whole time. My girlfriend, Gabby, just called us out on our cool shirts. I guess that's not calling out. I guess that's a compliment. Thank you, Gabby. Thanks, Gabby. Yeah, but man, that, that's awesome. Um, so I know being... Being a musician, it's mm -hmm. like the dream is to, of course, like that's what you want to you want to be a, a professional musician. You want to have some right. recognition, maybe not so much fame, but that's what you want to do for a living. So, is it is it that much harder when you're when you're drinking yourself pretty much to sleep every night? Like having this little thing, like I'm 27 years old, I haven't made it yet. Like that that's feeding your alcoholism. Oh, it definitely did, but so good at drinking and repeating the cycle every day and playing and trying to not drink enough to blow the show, which there is definitely shows that I did not perform very well. Right. The whole band would be pissed at me. Um, but set aside from that. Yeah. <laughs> you, get really, you get really good at what you do, even if it's something horrifically bad for you. Yeah. Your sound is going out. I'm not sure if that's your headphones or your... Uh... Can you hear me now? Now I can, yeah. Perfect. 
Right. But, and yeah, that, that's an, you know, uh, obviously another line of work where it's like, if even if you're playing bars, like you're getting free drinks, you know, people there, you, you're probably friends with the bartenders. Like you could probably, when, when they, they asked the question, um, how did you get the money for your vodka? You could probably go out at night with zero dollars on your pocket in your pocket and still and still get drunk 100 percent, i did that all the time in some bars in milwaukee i would drink on credit yeah i would i would just have like a standing tab <laughs> did did you pay all those back um i did did you did. that's after after uh, getting sober mm-hmm. that, that's pretty that's pretty big of you thank you i well, you know, I guess so. I guess there's a difference there because I guess that's like you, that's a business establishment. That's somebody. It's not. It's not their fault that you were in there drinking because I'm sure there's a plot. I'm sure there's some drug dealer in Miami who one day is just going to happen upon this <laughs> podcast and be like, "That motherfucker. <laughs> he's in Austin, Texas. Okay, well, <laughs> he owes me five hundred bucks. No, oh, five hundred. I wish. <laughs> yeah." <laughs> But <clears throat> no, that, that, that's pretty cool, man. So, so let, let's talk about, you know, you, you made the decision that you couldn't do this anymore, right? Or, or you started feeling like that you didn't want to do this anymore. Let's talk about the last, let's say, a couple weeks of your, your active drinking. Yeah. So I'm to the point where I'm drinking a handle of vodka a day and with this girl, Becky, at the time. And I did not, me, myself, I did not want to get out of that. I know that I hated it and I was going to die, but right. I didn't want out of it. I had my best friend with me. You yeah, know? Your, your creature comfort. Yeah. And she actually called my best friend, Ben Perlstein, which uh, Ben used to manage Tommy Stinson. That's how I was able to meet Tommy and get to play with him. So I, I thank Ben for many different things in my life. But so Ben had a call from Becky saying like, John is not doing well. I mean, he's going to die if he keeps doing this. You need to come here. You need to intervene. We need to help him. So Ben and Ben talked to Tommy because he was living in Hudson, New York by Tommy at the time. Tommy basically bought him a flight to go to Milwaukee with no return flight. Just like, go take care of him. Wow. He needs, he needs to get into treatment. You know, I, don't, I didn't have insurance at the time. I had no resources. So Ben just came and we messaged, well, not we, sorry. He messaged a bunch of people what to do. And my friend Heather West, who's a publicist for Riot Fest in Chicago, mm-hmm. she said, <clears throat> involved with uh, music cares and they can get you a scholarship somewhere, hopefully. So there's like a 10 to 12 page form that you have to fill out. I was in no shape to fill that thing out and, and submit it and all that. So. Right. Ben basically got all the paperwork together. I was an absolute zombie. I remember the day that we were filling all that out to, to fax it to them and send it in. We were, uh, we were by this FedEx Kinko's printing it off because, of course, I didn't have a printer at the time. And next door... Do you, was- do you have a printer now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Apart- at, your, you, at home, you have a printer? Yeah. That's pretty fucking boss. <laughs> <laughs> the gifts of recovery. I'm really, I know, I'm, I'm getting somewhere now. The, the gifts <laughs> of recovery are, are endless. So there's this bar next door called Halliday's, and I was like, oh my God, Ben's going inside to print this stuff off. I can actually slip into Halliday's and have a couple drinks really quick, just mm-hmm. slam shots maybe. 
and I just zombified, like walked over to Halliday's and the door was locked. And here I am like beating on the door and I'm like, somebody let me in. I was just, I needed a drink that bad. Right. And Ben must've saw me outside walk up to Halliday's and he went and grabbed me by the shirt. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Get away from there. Come with me. So then we went to this cafe on Brady Street where I used to live in Milwaukee. And he basically asked me, you know, 800 questions to fill it all out and then had to get YouTube links together to prove that I'm a musician. And, and I sent it all into this girl, Jennifer Leff, who was working in New York for Music Cares. And basically they, they fast tracked it. And within a day, they're like, okay, we can scholarship you up to 70% of your stay. And we found you a bed at Hazelden, Center City, Minnesota. So I was like, okay, bet. I could have actually gotten in probably that next morning. This was on May 17th. And my birthday was the next day, though, May 18th. And I'm like, I'm not getting fucking sober on my birthday. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm like, I want at least one last day to get fucked up. Right, right. So drank on my birthday and actually was a horrible time. I didn't have fun at all. And then okay. I did I did the interview or the pre-screen rather with Hazelden on May nineteenth, and they were like, "Okay, we can get you in tomorrow afternoon." So just hook up a flight, get here, and so I ended up going in on May twentieth. And May twentieth, I actually didn't drink going in there because the last week or two when Ben was in town. If Ben wasn't at the house, my mom would stay there. They, they had a 24-hour watch on me, so I wouldn't slip off and go get vodka somewhere. And if, if, I went, if I headed towards the front door, it was like shit was on, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had basically like four people watching me for a couple of weeks, 24 hours a day. And then they tapered me down. So it was first I, I had a really strong six-pack of Belgian beer. I drank that one day, and then I had a bottle of wine the next day, and then a half bottle of wine, and then a quarter bottle of wine, and then on that last day before I went in, I just I didn't want to go to treatment and be one of those stories of like, oh my god, I walked in the door super fucked up. Right. I just I, I meant it. I wanted to be better at that point. I, it started clicking already to me. Let's. So we, okay, I I definitely want to touch on this because you know. I mean, if, if people are watching this, they, they, they know about what a lot of what we're talking about. But the dangers of detoxing yourself, especially off alcohol, is fucking deadly. Um, dear friend of mine, Justin Enoch, who passed away trying to detox himself off alcohol. We, we've had his mom on here um, a couple of times to talk about Lisa Pascarosa to talk about her experience and you know him trying to detox himself and people people die from trying to detox themselves off of alcohol or benzos or you know or whatever it, it's so important that if you're going to detox or if you have a loved one that's going to detox it's they're not bullshitting when they say like it's not safe to just cut them off cold turkey and see what happens they could seize and fall and hit their head um a million things could go wrong. So if you have somebody who is look that you're hoping to detox, like definitely seek some professional help, look into it and, and do it safely. So yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I, I'm really glad that you said that because I don't know if a lot of people realize that a benzos and alcohol 
simpler though. I always think that benzos are just alcohol in pill form. Right. But you know, and yeah. they, they say that when you, <clears throat> when you detox off of heroin and opiates, you feel like you're going to die. But when you're detoxing off of benzos and, and alcohol, you, you, you actually can die. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. So I, I sh it was good that I tapered. Caitlin told my family to do that, but I should have just drank straight up till walking in the door. Absolutely. Right. Were you still, mm -hmm. were you getting shaky towards the end of your taper? I was. I was, yeah. And also it was a super hot day in Milwaukee for some reason on May 20th, which never happens. It was like a 90 degree day. And I remember I got on the plane. Ben Benny actually, God bless his heart, flew with me and walked me through the doors of Hazelden himself just so I didn't veer off somewhere and, and go MIA. Thanks, Ben. That's a good <laughs> yeah. friend. That's a good friend there, man. Somebody who will just put their life aside to, to make sure you get help. I'm sure, I'm sure you're, uh, I'm sure you feel the same. Absolutely, man. Uh, we, we got on the plane and there was no AC on in the plane. And I remember I had a hoodie on. I, I just, I've never been sweating and so uncomfortable in my entire life. I actually thought I was going to die. The cold but, sweats. Oh my God. Terrible. Yeah. yeah and then, when I got to Hazelden, um, you have to spend two days of medical there at least just to right. be medically cleared to get it. And they do a, a blood draw right away, and you get your labs within those two first days that you're there. And then that's when the doctor revealed that I had hepatitis to the liver. And actually, the first two days, I was bullshitting myself. I was like, I don't want to be here. I'm, this is not for me. I was like, when I, when I get out of here, I'm going to be able to have a glass of wine with dinner. Right. <laughs> and then once the doctor told me that I had hepatitis to the liver... I actually understood why I couldn't drink ever again because the doctor looked at my charts. My liver enzymes are almost a thousand, which they're supposed to be low. And he looked at my charts. He's like, he's like, John, I've been doing this for over two decades. If you leave here and drink like that again, you will not see 40. I guarantee it. Wow. That's when I threw up the white flag and I was like, okay, tell me what to do. And I'm going to do it. And I ended up doing it all. First time in treatment? Uh, I did two state-ran <clears throat> before okay. that, but technically first time in treatment. First time going through the full continuum of like a, a 28 to 32-day program. That's incredible, man. Like, you know, and that, that that's that's beautiful recovery there. Two guys who got – how old were you when you got sober? Two days into being 33. 33. So, you know, two guys who were well into adulthood – who, who got it, you know, me, it took me 20 treatments. Um, you oh won, God. you know, some people, some people don't need treatment. Some people get it and, and do it themselves, but it's, it's possible, man, no matter, no matter where you are and you don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, uh, a man of a certain age or a human of a certain age to get this, you know, you could get it when you're young, you could get it when you're in your sixties. It's never too early or too late to find recovery. Right. I agree. It's never too late to do anything. I went back to college and did four years of college when I was 36, thanks to being sober. Yeah. Same here. Same here. You know, awesome. and, and I, I have to give a shout out to Music Cares, too, because Music, Care, Music Cares helped me as well. Um, they do. Right. They do great work, man. I can't, I can't say enough about Music Cares. They, they helped me. I had zero funds and, you know, they, <clears throat> they made it so I didn't even have to think about what I wanted to do next as long as I kept on 
doing the right thing that they were gonna that they were gonna help out. So big, big shout out to Music Cares. That is, that is so cool, man. I mean, they saved my life one hundred percent. No doubt yeah. about it. That right. sounds like they saved yours too. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Frank, fifty-eight, one time in treatment for recovery unplugged. Thank you, Frank. What a what a uh, miracle, huh? Love, I, I love, love it. More. Good, good, great <laughs> stuff, man. So, um, man, I knew I knew this was going to happen. We were going to start just 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 going on, and uh, so let's talk about what happened after you got out of treatment. Um, you hit the ground running. You started doing twelve step stuff. You started. What, what, what did you do besides going back to school? Um, pretty funny you ask. I actually, I didn't really like me for a while. Okay. Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'll just rigorous honesty right there. Yeah, you're here. I, that's, that's what matters. I tried, I tried to do a bunch of meetings and I didn't quite click. I tried a lot of different ones. Um, but I actually went to a therapist like two, three days a week to start off once I left. And I got a temporary sponsor, this guy Patrick, for a bit. And then I just started touring again and got super busy and, and just made excuses to, to not partake in my recovery. And I did that for, for a while, for about two years. And then that's when I decided to move to Nashville because being, being sober in Milwaukee, Wisconsin is pretty tough. There's like eight bars to every corner. That's where all my bad behavior happened. Miller owns like... 80% of the city. Right, right. Uh, they call it Beer City because of the amount of microbreweries they have there. Yeah. And people will go to a restaurant, order Bloody Marys at 7.30 in the morning. Just, they don't, in other cities and other states, they don't drink like that. So I, I know that a geographical change is not the answer, but I definitely couldn't live in Milwaukee anymore. It was just too much for me. Yeah. Um, so I decided on Nashville because of a girl, um, ended up ultimately not working out with her, but that's okay. Everything happens for a reason. Right. And, um, when I, when I came down to Nashville, I actually started to try to go to meetings again. And of course I like kind of lazied it out and, and stopped doing it. And, um, I was in a really terrible abusive relationship and I, started working all the time. Then I went back to college. So I went back to college at 36, finished at 40. And then once I finished college, I was like, okay, I got to start working in treatment. That's like the end goal for me. Cause music was always my plan. A, um, I didn't know what my plan B was cause I didn't have one. Right. But once I went to treatment, I was like, I got to work on plan B. God, if somebody would just open a music based treatment center, that would have been perfect for you. Nice one, Jason. Thank you. Um, it's a really weird, it's a really weird story how I came to be at Recovery Unplugged. But once I started working there, I started going to more meetings, and actually, I met my sponsor through somebody that would come to play Tune Up Tuesday two years ago when I first started working there. And I've been working with him, my sponsor, been working the steps with him. I've always worked the steps like a la carte, and I'm I'm just going to be honest there. And I definitely wasn't living a sober life emotionally. Right. Um, you what know, like I was, dry. I, was, I was definitely a dry drunk. I was super reactive, um, holding resentments over everybody for every little thing. 
Um, but the last two years, I've definitely worked on all of that. And I kind of regret not working the steps all the way through sooner and getting a sponsor that I'm, I'm actually working with for a long period of time and going to meetings and finding the right ones and finding the right support. But I have it now. So that's, that's all that matters, right? And it's one of those things, man. There, there's no perfect recovery, no perfect way to find recovery. It's like one of those things, as long as you're putting the work in, you know what I mean? As long as you're putting forth the effort, honestly, like at whatever pace it is, um, right. you know, I feel that you're, you're going to gain something from it. Yeah, I agree, man. Do you want me to tell you the, the little, the little kind of cliff notes version of how I hooked up with RU? Sure. Um, so, I mean, not a lot of people know this, but I'm just going to put it out there. Because, put it out there. Okay. Uh, I had a I had a child when I was 18, and I definitely destroyed the relationship with him when around like one and a half, two years old, and I haven't talked to him in 20, 23 years. Wow. So it's uphill battle that I've been trying to fight back into his life, and I, it's, I still haven't successfully gotten in it. But anyways, two years ago, I was like, I need to make a step work to get back in Colin's life. So I made a post on Facebook saying, hey, does anybody know a family therapist in Nashville? Like not asking for a friend, literally asking for me. Right, right, right. And somebody that I worked with in Milwaukee who also lives in Nashville now, weirdly, he messaged me, this guy, he's like, call Ed Brinson. Don't call anybody else. And I'm like, okay. So I called him and I told him what was going on and I wanted to get back in my son's life. And we had a couple sessions about it and made a plan. And I told him that I was trying to get my LADAC in the state of Tennessee to be a licensed counselor. And he said that... LADAC, for those who don't know, is... Go ahead. No, please, you tell me. <laughs> I'm asking. <laughs> um, oh, okay, sorry. I thought you were going to say it. So in the United States, through NADAC, you can become a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. But in Tennessee, it's called LADAC. It's your license to become an alcohol and drug counselor. And I'll also get reciprocity working my LADAC in other states if I were to move and still wanted to practice being a counselor. Um, so I, I was on the way to get my LADAC, but I didn't know where to, to start to get my LADAC. It's like ungoogleable, right? You can't go online and say, where do I get my LADAC in the state of Tennessee? Nothing really pops up. You have hmm. to find somebody that specializes in helping, like a consultant. So Ed said, hey, call my friend Nan. I've known her for 20, 30 years. She helps people get their LADAC in the state of Tennessee. So I'm like, okay, this is getting weird, right? Mm -hmm. I met this wonderful guy who helped me come up with a plan, get reconnected with my son. And then got introduced to Nan, who has been working in treatment for almost 40 years here in Nashville, helps people get their LADAC, took me on as, uh, as a supervisor for LADAC. And the first month after we started working together, she goes, we got to get you a job in treatment because to get your LADAC, you need like 4,000 job hours if you have a right, human right. like I do. So I went into her office one day for supervision and she said, hey, you need to leave here right now 
go bring your resume to this recovery center that's 15 minutes from your house called Recovery Unplugged. They're hiring right now. And I know somebody that works there. We can get you an in. And they also deal with music. And so we looked up the website, and I was like, oh, my God, this is too good to be true. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I took my resume. I went over to RU, and I rang the front door, and I, I gave my resume to Madeline, who was working at the front desk. And a couple of weeks later, I got an interview with Chuck and Suzanne and started working there and started out as a tech. And then now I'm an alumni. But pretty Beautiful. crazy story, right? It is. It is. I love it. I bet you saw some pretty cool videos when you got on that website for Recovery Unplugged. I did. They have and great my, content. Um, Say that again. My friend Jason made them. Cool, man. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, man. So I wanted to wait till we were towards the end to start talking about music because I knew if we would have started on that, we wouldn't have gotten even we we wouldn't even have gotten into recovery stuff. So I think it's time for the spinny wheel. Okay, hit. There once was a wheel, it was a special wheel, it was a magical wheel, it was the best damn wheel, it's the spinny wheel of songs. Da -da -da -da. Speaking of great content, that, that was all Joseph, I had nothing to do with that. I'm so, every time it plays, I get so jealous. Good job. Alright, so we're going to spin the wheel here, it's going to come up on a subject and we're going to, uh, I'll go ahead and then you could follow. And then, uh, yeah, I, we need to talk about music more. Next time we hang out, we'll just uh, drink some coffee and do song for song, which is a great game. Song that makes you cry. Oh wow. That's so easy. Is it? Uh, okay, well, then you go ahead, because I, I feel like the, the, the main two I've mentioned on here quite a few times. Okay. What, what's uh, yours? Granddaddy, the song Jeb the Humanoid. Oh, dude, I fucking love that song so much. For those out of oh. land, it's, it's all about uh, this family that makes this robot named Jed the Humanoid. It's a robot that helps the family. The family starts ignoring him, going on lots of vacations, living their, their everyday life, and ignoring him. And the, the robot gets sad, and he starts drinking, and he ends up drinking himself to death. He fizzled and popped. Yes, he did. Wow, <laughs> man. Yeah. I will. You know what? I'm gonna. I'm a huge Jason Lytle fan. Huge Granddaddy fan. Weeping Willow off the same album is is another one. Just that little piano riff. Oh, see, oh, Johnny, I love having you on here, man. We we could go on with music for all night. So we could we could continue this conversation though. Come to Austin. I'll come back to to Nashville and and we'll get it going. But Great song, great one. One more, one more that also makes me cry too is "Spiritualized," ladies and gentlemen. We're now floating in space. That's, that is that is another, that that's a great one. I have I have some spiritualized stuff back here. Funny story. First time <laughs> I ever did any kind of opiate, my friend uh, had opium, and that album had just dropped. So we're talking 94, 95, was it? Yeah, like and he was like, "Here's some opium. Check out this album and put on, ladies and gentlemen, we're floating in space." And that was my introduction to opiates and to to spiritualize. So, oh my god, moment. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I chased that moment for many, 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 many years, <laughs> unsuccessfully. <laughs> All right, so now we're gonna get to the rapid fire question time. <laughs> 
What was your first punk rock show? Oh, God. Oh, man, that's tough. So mine was hey, go ahead. Ni- 1987 Dead Milkman at the, uh, the Cameo Theater in Miami. Oh, that sounds awesome. And no, I just, thought, pretty... I just well, thought of mine. What was it? It was seven seconds at the Unicorn in Milwaukee at the Out the Shizzy tour. Aren't you, aren't you going to see seven seconds tonight? I am. Full circle. Right. Walk Full together, circle. rock together. Great stuff. Um, best, best movie soundtrack. Oh, man, there's so many. I would, I would have to go on board and say... Give us three, then. Give us three. Virgin Suicides. Air. Virgin yes. Suicides. Um, Rushmore is up there. Maybe tied with Royal Tenenbaum soundtrack as well. That's a good one. Uh, go ahead. What, what's one of yours? Uh, Ghost World. Oh, that's a great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. That, and uh, Valley Girl. Valley Girl is another one of my favorite from the 80s. That is a super good one. Man, we need to hang out and talk <laughs> more about music. But okay, so right now, the uh, 21st of July, 2022, how many days sober do you have? Oh, God. May 20th, 2012. I would look on my phone at my sober counter, but it actually... I'm using my phone right now. <laughs> give me, give me, give me a guesstimate. Shit. So there's 352 days in a year. 352 times 10 plus 61. Oh boy. I'm gonna guess 14, 12,000 something. All right. I'm gonna take your word for that one. My math is terrible. <laughs> All right. So being that we, you know, we, we probably surround ourselves or are surrounded by some, some pretty, I would say, music snobs, some people who are very opinionated about it. What is a band that most of your friends and contemporaries love that you can't stand? Radiohead. Wow, that's surprising. Okay, because I, I, I do love Radiohead. I a lot of love for the bands and OK Computer. That's where it ends for me. And also, I don't. I've said this before with many people. I, I'll, if I'm fine he- without hearing Radiohead for the rest of my life. Okay. Wow. So Sorry, to disappoint you, buddy. That's all right. That's all right, man. It's okay. We, we had a good run. That's <laughs> <No, just> good. <kidding. laughs> um, so for me, it is social distortion. <sighs> yeah. So I will say that there, there's a period like the, the, the very beginning stuff, the mommy's little monster and the stuff from another state of mind. We're losing, we're losing anybody who was tuned in here, but any, anything from that era, I, I like, like the first album, but anything past that, I just, and you know, Mike Ness, man in recovery, solid dude. Just not a fan. Sorry. All right. She's really upset about the Radiohead thing. What you? <laughs> Sorry. Hopefully, hopefully, Gabby's not watching. So let's say you just got paid today, right? Mm-hmm. Day off. 
it's your birthday, your sober date, whatever, you're going to treat yourself. What does a self-date for Johnny Phillip look like, beginning to end? In Nashville or in Milwaukee? Wherever you are. I mean, you could fly yourself somewhere. You're, you're in recovery now. Oh, man, I would, go to the, I would go to New York for the day and eat all of the food that I could. I would go to Lil Frankie's and go get Italian food. I'd go to Joe's Houston, get a slice. Um, I would go get a pastrami sandwich. I mean, all of the food. And then I would go see a great show in New York. What would be the show? What would be the show? Hopefully like this is, this is your day. Oh my God, man. I'd like to see a replacements reunion show in New Ooh, York. That would be great. I, I Which, join you. Forest Hills Stadium, the the tennis stadium, like six years ago. There, I missed that's, it though. That's pretty good. Well, well, like like I thought, we were gonna hit the hour, and still, I I would be unsatisfied with uh, the length of time that we had to talk. So let's give you get. Let's give a quick shout out if you want to plug any music, if you want to say anything before we go, a message of hope to those who are out there, whatever you want to say, the floor is yours. Thank you. A couple things. Um, my band Limbeck has shows coming up in California, which I can't really say much details about those because they're not announced yet. All right. Is there a website? Yeah. Limbeck.net. How do you spell that? L-I-M, as in man, B-E-C-K dot net. You can also catch us on Instagram and Facebook, all that jazz. But we have, we have about maybe three shows in September, and then we have four shows coming up in the Midwest that are also not announced yet. But we're also slowly creeping on making a new record right now for the first time since 2006. Wow. That's which is cool, really, man. We have make maybe 14 loose demos made but it's i mean it's going so slow we all are so busy and between those guys they have seven big jobs wow okay uh, but set, a, set aside from that um please keep an eye out for the limbeck stuff and then also if you need help of any kind whether it be substance abuse mental health reach out to somebody please even if it's the hardest thing to do ever, because somebody will be there to listen and help you and give you direction and never stop talking about it because talking about it's half the battle. And um, just know that you're not alone out there because I thought that I was, even though that I had hundreds of people in my circle that'd be willing to help me. Um, just, just don't go it alone. Talk to somebody about it. Reach out, reach for help because it's there for you. And no matter what you're coming off of, you can absolutely get sober and live a better life. I mean, I never thought that I could make it 10 days or 10 weeks without drinking. I've made it 10 years. I have moved across several states, which I never thought I'd move out of Wisconsin. I went back to college that I've been studying for two years to be a drug and alcohol counselor. I've been working in treatment. I started making my own solo songs under the name Mini Meltdowns, which I never thought that I would ever make my own songs ever. Because when I was drinking, I, I had all these hopes, but never made it happen. Uh, just change your life, man. 
because there's so much there's there's so much more out there for you. And I and God loves you. It's awesome, man. So man, thank you for all that you do in the recovery community. I'm so glad that I got to meet you as a coworker and most of all, I'm so glad that we've become friends and you know, I love you very much, man. You're, you you help a lot of people and just such a kind spirit and it was good to have you on. You have to come back. Thanks a lot. I'd come back anytime, Jason. I'm I'm glad to call you a friend too. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. So Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, this is a great show. I, I, I had a lot of fun here, as always. Like, I wish it could go on a lot longer. So that's how, that's, that's how I always mark it as a good one. So thanks for joining us, guys. And, and as we always say, there's a thousand ways in and a thousand ways out. And you hope you find your way. Tune in next week.